Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. This is week 12 of our study on Roman Catholicism, and today we're going to talk about the Catholic Bible. But before we do that, I want us to talk about what the Bible itself is supposed to be for us. So, put simply, the Bible is how God chose to reveal himself and communicate with mankind. It is a collection of books, letters, and eyewitness accounts spanning about 4,000 years of time. It is a book in a class of its own, containing historical accounts, poetry, and divine prophecy. Although it was written by the hands of 40 different men from a variety of backgrounds throughout history, we believe the statement of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16-17 through 17, which declares that God breathed the words and wisdom for what was put onto paper. This is what it's meant by the Bible as a whole being the inspired word of God, and that God himself wrote the Bible through the hands of men by giving them the words to say. From an archaeological standpoint, it is amazing to know that God has preserved his word throughout the ages, and that what was written by the original authors remains consistent through all subsequent copies of them. We also believe that because God is perfect, therefore his word is also perfect. It is infallible, meaning never wrong. It is inerrant, meaning it contains no errors. And it is the sole and final authority when it comes to historical, spiritual, and moral issues. Because God is far beyond what humans can accomplish, that is why we exalt his word above any human tradition or ideology. This is a bold statement, but by saying this, is there any way of proving these claims? Absolutely there is. And so let me show you some evidence that the Bible is indeed the inspired word of God. So first off, the Bible is full of prophecy which predicted things that would happen in the future. Some descriptions are mysterious and symbolic in nature, especially in reference to the end times, but others are very literal, and some are so literal that specific people and places and times are named as much as hundreds of years before they happen. For example, the Persian king Cyrus was specifically named by God in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1, about 150 years before he was actually born. Not only that, but there has not been a single prophecy that was written that didn't happen as predicted. A vast majority of prophecy was fulfilled by Jesus Christ himself. Some historical prophecies have already taken place, while others have not yet been fulfilled. For example, Jesus predicted that Jerusalem would be destroyed in Matthew chapter 24, and it was destroyed about 40 years later. Some of what Jesus predicted has not yet happened, but if you're paying attention, the dominoes are starting to line up in our lifetime to where they will take place. Although it was written by 40 different men on three different continents, separated by thousands of years, the message of the Bible has continued to be consistent and unified. 
historical events, God's character, and the themes taught throughout Scripture never clash with each other, and they never cancel each other out. Nowhere in the Bible does it contradict itself. If anything in the Bible contradicted itself, it would not be a reliable source of information and wisdom, especially in the matter of the destination of our souls. If one or two things are wrong, who knows what else could be wrong, right? Not only does the Bible always tell the truth, but it doesn't put mankind on a pedestal. Many world religions glorify man's ability or potential or heroism, but the Bible is unique in that these great figures are described with character flaws and weaknesses, and that they were only great because they trusted in God for their strength and wisdom. It is a window into the heart and soul of mankind as a whole, as we see that nothing has really changed regarding the human condition. Men and women continue to struggle with the same root issues since the fall from Eden, and only God can direct our paths in truth. Archaeology and science have contributed greatly into proving the truthfulness of biblical accounts, especially in the last 100 years or so. Many of the people and places mentioned in the Bible were long thought to be merely stories or fictional places, yet we have discovered these places in the exact geographic location and in the correct time period as described in the Bible. Additionally, the Bible is full of facts related to biology, physics, and astronomy that were far ahead of its time. There are over 100 passages of scripture that describe things that modern science has only recently discovered. If you told the average person that the laws of thermodynamics, the earth being round and hanging in space, the expanding universe, modern hygiene, blood being the life, all of that was in the Bible, if you told them that, it would be hard to believe until you actually opened the book and saw it for yourself. So all these things point to the Bible being true as well as the Word of God rather than a work of man. Now, in the Christian Bible, we have 66 books. Why those particular 66? So to be clear, God chose what went into the Bible. By the time Jesus walked the earth, the, the entire Old Testament was already assembled and accepted as scripture by the Jews. Anytime he refers to the law and the prophets, this is what he's referring to, the Old Testament. However, deciding what belonged in the New Testament was different. By reading the four Gospels, we know that Jesus was a very controversial figure, and that reputation he has remains to this day. During the days of the early church, there was much debate on what was considered scripture, because intermixed with what we know today as the New Testament were several other books that were written by false teachers as well as people who purposely are trying to lead Christians astray. And those particular books are called Apocrypha. Through a series of councils and debates over the centuries, God assembled the New Testament as the authoritative writing of the Holy Spirit. 
But you have to ask, how did they know what was supposed to be in there? What qualified a book as being the inspired word of God? There were some criteria that they used in order to determine the canon of Scripture. For example, was it written by an apostle or someone close to that apostle? Is it generally accepted by Christians at the time? Is the doctrine and teaching consistent with the rest of Scripture? Does it teach high moral and spiritual values that determine the work of the Holy Spirit? Does it contradict or nullify another area of Scripture? If the answer was no to some of these, then they were not considered canon Scripture. They were considered apocrypha. Anything that met all the criteria were recognized as being inspired by God. All of these criteria had to meet because we know that God is perfect and therefore his word is perfect. And so all the criteria were had to be recognized as being from God to be added into the Bible. Everything else, whether it was partially true or just interesting, they were considered, but they were apocrypha and not inspired word. Again, it is the Holy Spirit that moved the early church in the 4th century to settle the true canon of the Bible. So, what is Apocrypha, then? The Internet is full of claims that there are hidden and missing books of the Bible that were either lost to history or that were intentionally removed from the canon for secret reasons. And these books are called Apocrypha, which means hidden books, or they are considered deuterocanonical books, meaning they were second-hand canon. These mostly consist of historical documents or counterfeit works of biblical characters that were written after the time of Christ. For example, the books of the Maccabees was respected by the Jews as a historical document during the Age of Silence, which the Age of Silence being the 400 years between the book of Malachi and Christ being born. But the Maccabees were not considered authoritative or belonging in even the Jewish Bible. Other works, such as the Gospel of Thomas or the book of Enoch, despite their name, were not written by that person. These are attempts to teach false doctrines that are historically and theologically incorrect. It is not unrealistic to imagine that Satan would try to thwart God's plan to establish a complete scripture by trying to plant contradictions and lies into it. He failed, because God's word never fails. That still doesn't stop him and his demons from trying to influence us into thinking that God held something back from us in this Apocrypha. To be clear, there is nothing missing from our Bibles. In an effort to justify some of the practices and traditions that were labeled as unbiblical, the Catholic Church accepted the Apocrypha as canon by the Council of Trent in response to the Reformation of the Protestants. Some of what is said in the Apocrypha may be true and correct, but it is not the inspired Word of God, because it is not completely true and it's not completely accurate from start to finish. And we know that God cannot make mistakes, and therefore 
the Apocrypha do not belong in the Bible. Again, God decided what belonged in his word because his word is truth and life. As a result, the canon of scripture is thoroughly correct and consistent from beginning to end. So, I have to say that because when you look at the Protestant Bible with its 66 books, and you compare it to the Catholic Bible, they have additional books in their Bible that we don't. In the 4th century, around the same time as the councils of Hippo and Carthage, which were the ones that decided the canon of Scripture, the Catholic Church was intent on translating the Bible into Latin. Their translator, whose name was Jerome, was successful in completing his translation, but he was also pressured by Rome to translate the Apocrypha, in which he insisted they did not belong in the Bible. Therefore, the Latin Vulgate included the Apocrypha as part of the canon of Scripture. The Council of Trent affirmed the decision and made them officially part of the Vulgate. The Catholic Bible contains the same 27 books of the New Testament, but it has seven additional books in the Old Testament. And so I'm going to give you a brief description of what each one is that is extra in their Bible. So first off, they have one book called the Book of Tobit. The Book of Tobit is the story of a religious Jew who was exiled to Nineveh after the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. It is not historically accurate, and it mentions doctrines that contradict the rest of the Bible, such as the giving of alms to achieve salvation. It also mentions the name of an angel, Raphael, and a demon, Asmodeus, that are only appearing in this Apocrypha. Whether it's true or not that that's their names, we don't know, but the rest of it is inaccurate. Another one is the book of Judith, which is the story of a beautiful, wealthy Israelite widow who saved her city from one of Nebuchadnezzar's generals. Some Catholic circles actually call this didactic fiction, meaning that it contains theological and historical errors. For example, it teaches that faith is not always necessary when in trouble. And it states that Nebuchadnezzar ruled from Nineveh, but we know from the rest of the Bible that he ruled in Babylon. So that doesn't make any sense. So if the Catholics know that doesn't belong in their Bible, why do they continue to keep it in there? That's the real question. Then we have the Maccabees. There are four books of the Maccabees, but only two of them are considered canon by the Catholic Church. The Jews themselves don't consider any of these to be canon. These books outline events that took place during the Age of Silence, and it's where Jewish leaders rebelled against the nations that continued to enslave them in order to gain religious independence. While these books are historically accurate in many ways, it is full of unbiblical practices and doctrines. Most notably, the sacrificing for the dead, purgatory, the intercession of the saints, are all derived from this, which are contradicted in the rest of Scripture. Another one is called the Book of Wisdom, or the Wisdom of Solomon. It's called either way. This book is commonly attributed to being written by Solomon. 
archaeological documents found an inscription stating that this was written by friends of Solomon hundreds of years after he died. It contains several theological problems, including statements that one is saved by wisdom, and that wisdom is exalted like that of the fourth person of the Godhead, which we know is not the case. Another book is the book of Sirach, or it is also called Ecclesiasticus. This book is similarly styled to the Proverbs, and it's mostly in compliance with Scripture, but not completely. There are some theological issues taught within it, such as how works are able to appease God, and how works can bring favor to oneself, like you're, you give yourself grace in some way, which is not biblical. Another one is the book of Baruch. This is a prophetic book with the same name as the scribe of Jeremiah. It was removed from the canon largely because neither Jesus nor any Jewish liturgy used it as an authoritative source of information. It contains errors that mess with the entire cohesion of the Bible, so this one was thrown out. Now, normally in our Bibles, Daniel has 12 chapters, but in the Catholic Bible, they added three other chapters to it. They are at the end of the book of Daniel, and they are stories that appear to have been added much later than the rest of the book. But when you read them, they feel more like legends or folklore of the original man named Daniel. Daniel, for example, deals with King Cyrus. He has another lion's den experience where Habakkuk comes to him and an angel is holding him by his feet and then Habakkuk lifts him out of the lion's den with his beard. You get some really weird stuff like that. And then there's also one about a literal dragon that Daniel deals with. So it's more folkloric than anything else. Then we have the book of Esther. Normally it has ten chapters in it, but it has six more chapters added to it, which were much later than the original inspired word. And they even contradict events from the original story. And they portray Esther as some sort of weak, helpless, fainting young woman, which is not how she presented herself in the original story. So I don't even know why it's there. Now, this is not part of their Bible per se, but these are other texts that the Catholic Church refers to as good sources of biblical information, but they are not a part of the Bible. For example, First and Second Estrus, they were essentially an extension of the book of Ezra, and they had many historical issues, and they did not have the same literary style as the rest of the book, showing that it was written much later and by someone else. Not to mention that, but Second Esdras is called the Apocalypse of Ezra, in where we have found manuscripts that suggest that it was written during the time of the Apostles. According to these manuscripts, it contains visions that Ezra supposedly had regarding how Gentiles have historically treated the Jews, but it really doesn't add anything to the Scripture. 
Now, there's something else called the Letter of Jeremiah, which is essentially chapter 6 of the book of Baruch. And it's also called the Epistle of Jeremy. But it was not written by Jeremiah, and it was not even a letter. It speaks of against idolatry and evil practices against the Lord, but it is not inspired word. The Prayer of Manasseh, which, if you remember from the kings, there was an evil king who was the son of Hezekiah named Manasseh. He was the most evil king that Judah had. And near the end of his reign, he actually had a portion of time where he repented from his ways and sought the Lord's forgiveness. And the Bible mentions that he said some kind of a prayer, but it doesn't say what he actually prayed. However, there is a false prayer floating around that is attributed to him. It's 15 verses long. People have been trying to sell this as the actual prayer he gave, but the problem is that it contradicts many portions of Scripture, especially on the concepts and doctrine of sin. So it's certainly not the real thing. Then we have probably the most famous one, which is the book of Enoch. Now this one is a fantastical book, falsely attributed to the Enoch of the Bible, who was in the genealogy of Adam, the one that did not die. Now, people tend to think that it was written by Enoch simply because the book of Jude quotes something from the book of Enoch. The problem is, is that just because Jude mentioned it and quoted it as that piece being true doesn't mean it was written by Enoch. What Jude is saying is that part was true, but he's not saying the whole book is true. Through archaeological findings and scholastic efforts, it has been determined that the book of Enoch was actually written well after the time of Christ. So with that being said, what does the Bible have to say about itself? So I'm going to give you five truths today about the Bible speaking for itself. So first off, truth number one. The Bible is God's eternal word of truth and life. Psalm chapter 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Truth number two. Everything in the Bible will come to pass. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. So will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, and without it succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, 
not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. John chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said, You are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God? Truth number three. The Bible teaches us how we should live and conduct ourselves, and it is the authority on that matter. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Truth number four. The summation and central theme of the entire Bible is Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. If you go down to verses 44 through 45, he also says this. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. John chapter 5, verses 39 through 40, and verse 46. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. John chapter 14, verses 6 through 9. 
Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I not been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. And lastly, truth number five. God commands that no person or institution has the authority to add, remove, or change his words, lest he be condemned. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 through 6. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will reprove you, and you will be proved a liar. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 through 19. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. I hope that you found this useful and that it cleared up some confusion if you had any, or if you were just curious as to the difference between our Bible and the Catholic Bible. And hopefully this will give you some information and some insight that will help you in your discussions. I thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.